This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to HowStuffWorks Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at HowStuffWorks. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous advances we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, a long-running mystery about how tornadoes work has been solved. And, unrelated, research into how medical services are underused and overused around the world could help make us all healthier. But first, senior editor Catherine Whitborn and our freelance writer David Ruse explain a bit of political science. We wanted to answer a question that came up in our weekly editorial meeting— why do we care about the first 100 days of a presidency? Right after a president's inauguration, the media starts to speculate what his first 100 days will be like. But why the fascination? After all, we elect presidents for terms of 1,460 days. What's so important about those first three months and change? You can blame Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Jonathan Ladd, Associate Professor of Public Policy and Government at Georgetown University, says FDR's first 100 days were so productive that people have talked about it ever since. Roosevelt came to power in 1933 in the depths of the Great Depression. He signed 76 pieces of legislation in his first 100 days. Among them, he took the U.S. off the gold standard, he revamped the banking system and created jobs through the Civilian Conservation Corps and the Tennessee Valley Authority. No president has even come close to this productivity. John F. Kennedy passed 26 bills. Ronald Reagan, about nine. Barack Obama, 11. But that doesn't shake the fixation on the first 100 days. It remains a benchmark of political efficiency and a convenient measure of a new president's power. So here's what's significant about that 100 days. New presidents have a sort of honeymoon period with Congress, so it's easier to push a new White House legislative agenda. Historically, most presidents come in with high approval ratings from voters, and in the past, senators and representatives would cross the aisle to vote with them. Professor Ladd explains that even George W. Bush, who won the 2000 election by the slimmest of margins, was popular enough that conservative-leaning Democrats helped pass his 2001 tax cut package. Ladd says this is unlikely to happen nowadays, since there are a lot fewer conservative Democrats and liberal Republicans than there used to be. 
and President Donald Trump came into power with low approval ratings. Another reason lots of legislation gets passed during that first 100 days is the political changing of the guard. When the White House and Congress are controlled by the same party, previously defeated bills may get a second chance at life. For instance, Bill Clinton signed the Family and Medical Leave Act within days of taking office in 1993. He could act so swiftly because the same bill had previously been passed by Congress and vetoed by George H.W. Bush. So the bill was ready to go. Clinton just needed to sign it. The other thing that makes those first 100 days so productive is executive actions. Presidents often use these to reverse the executive actions of their predecessors. One prime example is the global gag rule, which bars any foreign organization receiving U.S. aid from performing or promoting abortions. The rule has been enacted and rescinded by executive order every time the White House has changed political hands since Ronald Reagan. As you might expect, Trump has reinstated the executive order that Obama rescinded. And chances are, we can expect a lot more actions like these in the coming weeks and months. Next up, staff editor Christopher Hasiotis and freelance writer Patrick J. Kiger bring us the scariest science I've heard this week. Researchers have figured out why the inside of tornadoes get super cold and leave you gasping for air. Their data could inspire better technologies in fluid dynamics. On a summer afternoon in June 1955, a huge tornado touched down in central Nebraska. It zoomed down and across the North Platte River toward the town of Scotts Bluff, where it would wreak havoc moments later. Three reporters from a radio station's mobile broadcasting unit spotted the funnel just north of town and tried to flee by driving through a local cemetery. But they were trapped. They encountered a locked gate at the other end, and with their escape cut off, they ditched their vehicle to take refuge in the basement of a stone building nearby but they left the radio transmitter running so the public could hear the storm's fury. The three broadcasters huddled around the basement furnace and waited for the tornado to reach them. Pretty soon, strange things started happening. First, they saw shovels, hose, rakes, and other tools sucked up and out through the basement's entrance ramp. Then came total darkness and a deep, deep roar, and the basement furnace twisted and heaved. Then, for a short time, the men found themselves inside the vortex of a tornado. Suddenly they felt the temperature drop, from a mild early summer warmth to an unseasonal coolness, and they had a difficult time breathing. Now fortunately, within minutes, the roar of the tornado moved off into the distance, and the reporters were able to step out of the stone building, which miraculously had suffered only slight damage, while other structures around it had been leveled. That's a pretty amazing story of luck and survival, but for decades, a few details about it puzzled scientists. Why was the air inside a tornado's vortex colder and thinner than the air around it? Now, more than six decades later, research by Yorgos Vatistas, a mechanical and industrial engineering professor at Montreal's Concordia University, and two of his recent graduate students, Badwal Gurpreet Singh and Rahul Rampal, offers an explanation. Vatistas has been studying intense vortices, both ones found in nature and man-made ones, for more than a quarter century, and in recent years he's upgraded his mathematical model to account for factors such as density variation and the effects of turbulence in the air. He and his team were able to use the new model to figure out that it all comes down to air pockets. Now, air pockets are localized regions of air with lower pressure than the surrounding atmosphere. As air pockets within a vortex, in this case, the 1955 tornado, move from the edge of the vortex towards its center, the pockets expand. That expansion brings down the temperature of the air and also makes it thinner. So the more the pockets expand, the colder it gets, and the thinner the air gets. 
In the case of this Nebraska tornado, the temperature dropped from 80.6 to 53.6 degrees Fahrenheit, or 27 to 12 degrees Celsius, and the density of the air fell to 20% less than what you might find high in the mountains where climbers have to wear special gear to breathe. That explains why the trapped broadcasters felt chilly and gasped for air. Batista says that the 1955 account was the most detailed account of people surviving the inside of a tornado available. The new modeling approach which he developed and described in the Journal of Aircraft of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics will help scientists study violent atmospheric vortices such as tornadoes and water spouts. And beyond understanding the atmosphere, this new model also should prove useful as an engineering tool for optimizing the vortex refrigeration tubes used in industrial processes and for cooling electronic components. Finally this week, I've got a story for you from our freelancer Alia Hoyt about medical science. A series of papers has revealed the global effects of both the overuse and the underuse of particular medical services. The overuse and underuse of medical services is a global healthcare crisis that the medical industry is desperately trying to remedy, as described in a series of papers published by The Lancet in January of 2017. These problems are happening around the world, with both overuse and underuse often occurring side by side throughout various economies, with both leading to poorer health and well-being. Medical services that are overused often cause more harm than good because they're applied inappropriately. As the researchers explain in the first paper in the series, overuse of unneeded services can harm patients physically and psychologically and can harm health systems by wasting resources and deflecting investments in both public health and social spending, which is known to contribute to health. The researchers outlined a number of areas where overuse is commonly reported. Medications, screening tests, diagnostic tests, therapeutic procedures, including surgery and other invasive procedures, site of care delivery, such as staying in the hospital when less intensive care would suffice, and end-of-life care. Each of these areas are vital, and even life-saving when they're indicated by patient history, symptoms, and other specific considerations. But when used carelessly, the burden is great for both patients, many of whom still lack adequate insurance, and the healthcare system. Among these, medication overuse is one of the most publicly acknowledged examples, especially the overuse of antibiotics. When prescribed unnecessarily, the threat of microbial resistance increases, putting both the patient and the general population at risk. Expensive and sometimes invasive diagnostic tests like endoscopy and colonoscopy are also commonly overused, with the U.S. alone reporting an overuse rate of 60% for colonoscopy. The anxiety of not catching something serious leads to this type of overuse. Overdiagnosis and subsequent labeling can also be harmful, and not just because patients might be taking drugs that they don't actually need. ADHD is one example that's particularly prevalent in high-income countries. As the researchers explain... There's scant research on the effect of an ADHD diagnosis on a child's sense of self-esteem and ability to modulate their own behavior, but the label has been shown to affect teachers' expectations and peer interactions, which can substantially influence a child's self-perceptions. But let's talk about underuse. If there's an affordable, effective medical service available that's likely to improve your quality of life, it's obvious that people should use it, right? In a perfect world, the answer is yes, but many roadblocks can stand in the way. In both wealthy and poor countries, low-cost treatments are sometimes passed over in favor of expensive technologies. Known causes of underuse include lack of access to affordable health care, not enough doctors or other medical resources to meet the demand, doctors who need more training in new techniques and recommendations, and general failure by physicians to deliver the appropriate recommended care. 
Often, patients choose not to access care or decline recommended treatment, largely because of issues like language barriers, stigma, culture, distance, and a general lack of desire and time to navigate the administrative side of obtaining health care. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Further thanks to our audio producer, Dylan Fagan, and our editorial liaisons, Allison Loudermilk and Christopher. Subscribe to Now, Now, for more of the latest science news, and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover. Plus, your favorite regional snack food. I just discovered that boiled peanuts exist, and I'm obsessed. You can send us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And, of course, for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.